Father, I simply ask that you would give power to the words that I preach today from your word. I ask that you would lay us open where we need to be laid open, that we might be healed inside out by the grace of Christ. Lord, there is good anger and there is bad anger, and often we get them flip-flopped. So, Lord, would you reorient our hearts and our minds, our lives, around having a biblical view of anger that we walk out in the gritty stuff of everyday life. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had your buttons so pressed it made you really angry? Have you ever lost your temper? Actually, let me start over and get a hand raising. Have you ever had your buttons so pressed you became very angry? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. A whole bunch of liars. Okay, okay. <laughs> Have you ever really lost your temper? Okay. Have you ever just had to vent? Now, I am thankful for your honesty. And I, too, would join the ranks of those, as you saw, who would have to raise their hand for each of those three questions. But I wasn't just trying to get you to be open. I was also trying to expose what is true for all of us, namely that we often give our anger a pass. We, we make excuses. We speak of anger as if it's something that happens to us not by us. They really punched my buttons. Yeah, but like uh, Kevin DeYoung said, they're still your buttons. They made me so angry. Would you ever say that about adultery? They made me commit adultery. Would you ever say that about murder? They made me commit murder. Would you say that about any other sin? No, you wouldn't think of saying that. I mean, maybe some people would, but normatively we would not, right? But we say people made us angry. I lost my temper. I just lost it. No, baby, you didn't lose it. You actually found it, and you put it on ugly display for all. <laughs> I just had to vent. Like you're a teapot. Maybe we should sing the teapot song. Just steam going out everywhere, right? It says in Proverbs that a fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. This is why in the list of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, these three ugly descriptors are included. Enmity, strife, and fits of anger. We've all had fits of anger, right? Whether it's slamming something down, everybody, anybody ever broken something in anger? Oh, just, to, just me and Julie are being honest, okay, all right, all right, right? Or it could be just huffing and brooding silence, but we've all had a fit of anger. We know it, and those who know us well could vouch for it, right? And maybe for somebody here, there is a distinct pattern of sinful anger in your life that needs to be changed, that needs to stop, that needs the grace of God. 
to, be, to touch you in that area. And for others, it may not be you have a distinct pattern of sinful anger. However, sinful anger can rear its ugly head in damaging ways every now and then. So what I want to talk about this morning from God's word is a two-question filter for anger. A two-question filter for anger. Because I don't really think anger is so much our problem as is the reason for our anger and then our response to it, whatever kind of anger it is. That make sense? Hopefully it will in about 32 and a half minutes, okay? So, I might give you a chance, a cause to be righteously angry with that. You just promised. Um, number one, what is the reason for my anger? When I begin to feel angry, I should stop, drop, and roll. And ask the question, well, why is it that I'm feeling angry right now? We must ask ourselves the question, why am I feeling angry? Because you know what? You can be good and angry. I, I mean that literally. You can be good and angry. When we talk about anger, we tend to think of it in a negative sense. But actually, there is a good kind of anger. You know that. And if we're going to talk about a wrong kind of anger, we've we got to talk about the right kind of anger. Is God holy? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Does God ever get angry? Yes, he gets righteously angry. He's holy, and yet he can get angry, so there is a holy anger. And if you were to march through the Bible, you would see it all over the place. For example, he gets angry over the idolatry that took place while Moses up on the mountain, getting those Ten Commandments right. Israelites are having a dance party, worshiping a golden calf. Quite angry about that. He gets angry when... That which is holy is profaned. Just ask uh, Nadab and Abihu when they took strange fire up into God's holy temple. He gets angry when his people are threatened. Just ask some of those pagan nations he dealt with. Or how about in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 11, Saul sees the Ammonites uh, brutalizing his Israelite brothers and sisters the Spirit of God fills him and he becomes enraged. He had a holy anger against the mistreatment of his people. God gets angry when his people turn away from him. Just read 2 Corinthians 17. 2 Kings, by the way. I mean 17, by the way. He gets angry at the wickedness of the Canaanite perverse practices of sacrificing babies to Molech and practicing all kinds of sexual deviancy and by the way he doesn't just say you know let's just love them where they're at and then maybe later speak truth to them after we win them no that's that's not God's approach he gets angry when people his people Israel adopted those wicked practices of child sacrifice and sexual deviancy the Canaanite practices infiltrating the people of God he was very angry but just just read the Old Testament and you'll see that ah but then Jesus arrives, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He is meek and mild, but he's also holy and righteous. How many times did he flip tables in the temple? How many times? 
Not once, but twice. Why? Because they were abusing. They were abusing the temple. He got angry at false religious leaders. Wait till we get to Matthew next year and Matthew 23, the woes that he pronounces on false religious leaders. He got angry at the false religious leaders because they were mad that he healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. He got mad at them then, quite angry. He gets angry when people lead kids astray. There is that millstone thing, right? And I could go on and on and on. Perhaps the best commentary is Psalm 7, verse 11. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every single day. Oh, but that's the Old Testament. Well, I just mentioned Jesus in the New Testament, but let me give you one more verse. Romans 1.18, the wrath, that is the righteous anger of God, is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I would just say this, righteous anger is right. Righteous anger is right. It is an appropriate response to all that is evil, all that is unjust, all that is involving the rejection and the mocking of the true and living God. That's why Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and sin not. We'll come back to that. He never says in the scripture, uh, be lustful but sin not. He never says, be hateful and sin not. But he says, be angry and sin not. There is, I'm saying to you, good anger. Would you agree? So when you are angry, is it because of child abuse? Sexual perversion and deviancy? Sex trafficking? Pornography? Racism? Abortion? Abuse of the helpless, false teachers and false teaching, real injustice, rejection and mocking of God. When you get angry, is it because of any of those reasons or related reasons? Because if you are not angry over those things, there's actually something wrong with you. There's actually something wrong with me. There is a righteous anger, a good anger. And if we don't feel that in the face of those <laughs> terrible things... We should search our hearts. If you are angry, anger on. You're good and angry. Now, of course, our righteous anger is so often easily hijacked and becomes unrighteous anger, right? And we're going to address that with question two. But, but for now, I would just say this. Turn your righteous anger wherever you have it, and you're going to be more angry about some of these things than others. We are not omnipresent, right? But where there is an, a righteous anger, why don't you actually channel that into positive action instead of negative reaction? Are you angry over the rejection and mocking of God? I hope you are. Why not turn that into prayer and evangelism? Are you angry over abortion? And you should be. The numbers are staggering. How about adopting, considering doing that, or coming out to a love life event? Or how about 
serving in government where you can shape policy that will save the innocent? Are you angry about people being treated unfairly or attacked? Maybe on your block? Well, how about standing up and defending and protecting, starting with the men? My point is, we ought to do something positive when we have a righteous anger instead of negatively reacting. But if we were honest, most of our anger is not because of injustice, but because of inconvenience, right? Where's the TV controller? I don't work all day not to be able to watch my programs. Or we're not angry because God was derided. We're angry just because we feel disrespected. You're going to talk to me that way? As we heard them blaspheme God two seconds earlier. Or because our team lost. Imagine that. Bunch of guys in pads and tights. Right? I love football, but... We're more angry about that than other stuff. Not because God's name blasphemed. Not because our children are being massively led astray by certain teaching in schools. Not because God is being (laughs) impugned, his glory, and the good of people is being damaged. Not because of that. We get angry mostly because we were offended, right? Because we were inconvenienced. Can we just own that? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you got really beat red angry over your own sin? I mean, not, not, not her sin or his sin or their sin, but your sin. Man, oh man, think about if Adam and Eve had gotten beat red angry against the enemy tempting them. How that might have, you know, obviously God is sovereign, but you get the illustration, right? Now, I just want to ask you this question as I wrap up question one, this sub-question. The last time you were angry, just think, just think. Okay, last time I was angry. I I don't have to think that long, frankly, (laughs) this morning. What was the reason for your anger? See, that's, that's what I'm asking to ask. Why am I angry? Why was I angry? What made me so angry? And most of us, if we were to be honest, It probably wasn't a great reason, right? Most of our anger is rooted in our sin. Listen to what James says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. At least you murder in your heart. You covet and you cannot, uh, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, we are not robots. <clears throat> I mean, we, we can't help what we feel because we feel what we feel. We can't help that when that anger kicks in, that adrenaline surge, you know, the blood rushing to the face, the, the, the pulse quickly. We, we can't help that. We're not robots. Though I do think, I do think that over time, Even those kind of visceral, physical responses can be tempered and changed by grace, as we will see next. But attacking your anger starts with question number one. I know I'm kicking a dead dog. I know I'm being redundantly redundant. But here's the point. 
we have to ask ourselves the question, why am I angry? Remember, remember when Cain was ticked off because God accepted Abel, his brother's offering, and not his offering? What did God ask him? What did he ask him? The question I'm saying we ought to ask ourselves. Why are you angry? And he was doing that to hook his heart with some grace. Because he says that in verse 7, man, here's the paraphrase. You better get a hold of that anger because sin is crouching at your door. And because he didn't answer that question, why am I angry? The anger in his heart turned into a rock in his hand. Like it does with us so often. Now I close this first question with several proverbs that, that make the point. Proverbs 14, 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 25, 28. I addressed this a couple weeks ago. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given anger causes much more transgression. So we should ask the question, number one, what? What's the question we should ask ourselves? Why am I angry? Now that leads to question number two. You say we're halfway done. Maybe, we'll see. Um, I think so. The question is, how then do I respond when the answer is there's some unrighteous anger going in there? I'm not, not talking about some of those reasons we ought to be righteously angry and then not negatively react but positively act. I'm not talking about that. I'm, when, when you ask that question and you're being honest with yourself and the answer is, well, um, I don't think a good reason. I think a sinful reason. How then do I respond to that first wave of sinful anger? You know, blood going to your face, you know, your pulse quickening, you know, your adrenaline surging. How do I, how do I, how do I react? And there's, and there's three, three things I want to share. Perspective, repentance, and patience, the pursuit of it. First of all, you must gain perspective. You have to see your sinful anger for what it is. What is it? It's ugly. Ugly. Proverbs 25, 23 has, talks about a backbiting tongue, a bitter north wind, and angry looks. <laughs> anger is like a bitter cold wind in someone's face. It doesn't make you feel good. It is ugly. It is ugly. So in other words, going back to the introduction, we, stop, we have to stop playing the victim and giving our anger a pass. They pressed my buttons. They made me angry. I lost my temper. I just had to vent. We, we have to, don't put yourself in the passive there. Put yourself in the active. Anger, at the end of the day, is not something that is done to us, but by us. And it is ugly when it rears its head. Listen, when someone is angry, having a a, a temper tantrum, child kind or adult kind, whether 
it could be literally a child having a temper tantrum in the middle of a Myers aisle or hearing a parent yell in bitter fashion at, one of the, at a child or a spouse. When, when you, you've witnessed that, right? Once or thrice in your lifetime. You don't say to yourself, that is so cute, I want to do that someday. You don't say, man, i got to bring that to the house. The family will love it. It's already at the house. You don't do that. You say, whoa, I can't believe they're letting their kid do that. Or I can't believe they're doing that. It's ugly. But to see it for what it is, we need to see how ugly it is in us. We need to see it for what it is in us. And, it, and it's, listen, it's far more than just a temper tantrum or raising your voice about a thousand decibels just like that. There is a book, and I did get the expression, Good and Angry from David Pollison. Good and Angry. And in this book, uh, he, he recounts 30 years of dealing with angry people. He goes back to his days as a bar bouncer, then to a worker in a psych ward, and then as a, as a Christian counselor. And he mentions what he calls the six wavelengths of anger. Six wavelengths of anger. Wavelength one, irritability. That's, that's an ugly expression of anger. Wavelength two, arguing. Arguing. Wavelength three, bitterness. Wavelength four, Violence. Wavelength five, passive anger. Passive anger, that's, that's anger. And wavelength six, self-righteous anger. And one of the points that he makes is by seeing these six wavelengths for what they are, really just ugly manifestations of the ugly sin of anger, it can keep us from going Cain and making it far worse. By seeing these for what they are, it can stop us in the tracks from then going to giving in to the sin that's crouching at the door. We, listen, we all well and painfully know that unchecked, these wavelengths in our lives have exploded into tsunamis of anger. Just like that, right? They have, they have. And even if these wavelengths don't explode into tsunamis of emotion, they infect our environment, do they not? They infect our workplace, they infect our church, they infect our families, they infect perhaps even more than those big outbursts because they're just kind of in the air like radon. And they themselves are full-bore, flat-out, ugly expressions of the sin of unrighteous anger that dishonors the God we're supposed to represent before a lost world, our family, and our gospel family. So as I get into the second question, how do I respond to sinful anger? I must do this. I must gain perspective. I've got to see my own anger for it, what it is, an ugly expression of sin. Then there's the second component. We have to practice repentance. Repentance. You have to repent of it and ask God for help. This is not rocket science at all. 
But the stakes are really high. I came across a verse in this study on anger that jumped out at me, and I've read it I don't know how many times in my Christian life. But listen to what Jesus said when he said in Matthew 5.22, But I say to you, everyone who was angry without cause with his brother will be liable to judgment. We can wrestle with what that means. I'm not sure. It could mean temporal judgment, judgment right here. It could mean if someone confesses Christ, but they're always angry, sinfully with fellow believers, that maybe they don't have a new heart in the first place. But when Jesus says is liable for judgment, don't, 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 don't just bat an eye at that, right? It's serious stuff. And that's why repentance is so serious. And like I said, it's not rocket science. When you start getting righteously angry to say, Lord, I'm starting to act a fool. I'm starting to act like a jerk. I'm getting unrighteously angry, and it's not right, Lord. I need your help right now. You repent, you confess it for what it is, and you ask for his grace in that moment. The question is, will we stop long enough to ask, well, why am I angry? Will we see it for what it is? And then seeing it for what it is, will we recoil back into repentance, into the arms of our loving Father? And will we have the humility to do that before him? And where necessary, and it's often necessary, before others as well. That means also that <laughs> this, one, this one goes deep on all of us. It, needs, I, it means I need to repent of what makes me angry, namely my idols that in those moments are being disturbed and being dethroned. You know those idols, control. I want to be in control. People get angry and they get anxious. They become hateful often or neurotic because they have to be in control. It's an idol. Or, or popular one would be convenience, right? Got my schedule lined up, bam, 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 bam. Oh, you're going to get in the way of my schedule? I've been planning my day. Evidently, you haven't, <laughs> right? You know, and we ought to plan. I mean, they're, they're, right? But nonetheless, that can, be, that can be an idol. Comfort, control. <laughs> Comfort's a big one. Comfort is a big one, right? Approval. I mean, recognition, we can go on and on and on. Those things that we worship and got to have in our hearts. You see, Cain was jealous. That was his idol, approval. And he wasn't getting it from God in that moment when his brother's sacrifice was accepted and not his. And instead of examining his heart and saying, whoa, 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 this is getting, I just picked up a rock to throw to my brother. What am I thinking? He didn't. He just went with it. And the anger in his heart, as I said a few minutes ago, boiled, boiled over into a rock in his hands. And the sin of anger led to far more worse sin. And so it has with us, right? So what are we going to do? Are we going to gain perspective, see my, my ugliness for what it is, my, my ex ugly expressions of sin, whatever the wavelength of anger? Am I going to practice repentance? And then finally, am I going to pursue patience. Oh man, when it comes to checking our anger, the book of Proverbs puts a big time premium on patience. 
patience. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is a lot better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes his city. And of course, this is echoed in the New Testament itself a lot. I just quoted James, right? Slow to anger, because it goes on to say, the wrath of man does not accomplish the purposes of God. But I want to go back to Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, which says that we are to be angry and sin not. It goes on to say, and do, net, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Think, just the, 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 the verse I, I mentioned, Ephesians 4, let not the sun go down on your anger, don't give the enemy a foothold. Think about the carnage that would be avoided in our lives. In every direction, relationally, if we sought by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to actually walk that out. Instead of our rinky-dink justification, well, I just need the process. Well, you might need the process, but part of processing is doing what God says to do when he says to do it. And it's easy not to. Let's just, let's just cut it straight. Let's just cut it straight. That is importing the wisdom of the world, which is called folly, over the wisdom of God, which is true wisdom. It's, think about an old, like maybe you watch a cartoon and there's this old, there's this bomb, there's this black ball bomb and there's this wick on it and it's burning down. The longer you let that wick burn, the faster it's getting to the bomb and the less likely you're going to snuff it out before it's too late. That's why he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger lest you give the enemy a foothold. So we need to pursue patience. But let me be clear. I'm not saying pursue patience in your own strength. Don't miss this. The pursuit of patience is not by channeling, finding inner peace, counting backwards from 10 to 1. That that might help (laughs) from breaking something right then. But the answer in pursuing patience is not looking within, but looking without. Looking up to the one who came down in loving, sacrificial patience for us. I already cited a bunch, a, a bunch of examples of God's righteous anger, but consider the incredible patience that he has, he has displayed through time in the face of his righteous anger. Not unrighteous anger, patience in the face of his righteous anger. He told Noah to build an ark. Right? But you know, it was, that, was, that was really ungodly stuff going on. You know the stuff that we see in, uh, in headlines today? Stuff that they hold celebrations over? abuse and all kinds of stuff, like just today, that was happening then. And God finally had enough. Now, God has the attribute of omnipotence. He could go, it wouldn't even have to do that. Just doom, and then boom, everything's zeroed out. But instead he tells a man to build an ark, which was a very odd thing because there were no other boats up to that point. And he told him to tell people 
and it took a long time, and surely they heard all the hammering and the cutting down a lot. I mean, that was one big act of patience. God is patient. He is so patient. He is so patient. He set up an entire sacrificial system that went on for hundreds of years. First a tabernacle, then a temple, through which he would, he would pass over the judgment people deserved as they, in faith, laid down that sacrifice looking to his mercy. He sent Jonah to Nineveh. The Ninevites did some nasty things, which I will not mention in front of the audience that we have right here. In the, in, yeah. And he tells Jonah to go preach to them. Why? Because he's a God of patience. In fact, that's the beef that Jonah has with God, sending him to Nineveh. He says, I don't want, he says, why did you run away? Because I knew you were a God of patience and you would even forgive chumps like that. He forgave a chump like you, Jonah. And all of that, all of that was just a temporary reprieve before once and for all, God would just not spill out, but pour out to the very last drop his righteous anger. The anger that is right because he's holy. His wrath on his son, on his son at the cross for our sin, for our rejection of God, for our belittling of him, for our dishonoring of him in the image of, of God and people, on and on. All of that, not in part, but in whole, was laid on Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That song says, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For, on, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death I, of Christ I live. Now, if you're really living in the death of Christ, then you're going to grow in patience. As God has been patient with you. See, we have more than irritated God. We have violated his character, his glory, and yet because of his saving patience towards me, at the cost of the son on the cross, that is not held over me anymore, right? East to west, that's how far he separates us from our sin. What if God were as patient with you in his righteous anger as you are with others in your unrighteous anger? Where would you be? Where would I be? You say, oh, but I'm not God. No, don't, 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 don't pull that cop out. Because when God saves us, he wants to change us to reflect the image of the one who saved us by what he did on the cross. And we show, we show, we show that we really have believed in this Jesus Christ. Ain't just dogma on paper, but my living Lord, my risen King. We show that we really have believed that and received this, that we live in Christ by extending that same patience to others that God has to us, right? Not grudgingly, <sighs> not with an irritated sigh, not reluctantly in exasperation and frustration, but willingly and lovingly and joyfully as God in Christ did for us. Listen, in love, not 
with a heavy side. Jesus came? No. In love, the Father sent him. Here in his love, 1 John 4.10, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? Wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Jesus said, fine, I'll go. <laughs> no, no, no. Hebrews 12, who for the joy, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says we live, we, we, we get rid of the sin and weight that uh, so easily cling to us, the first part of Hebrews 12, by looking to the one who joyfully endured the cross in our place. So what about your anger? What are the two things you need to do? I need to do when anger hits you, when anger hits me. I got to, one, ask myself, why am I angry? I got to ask myself what God asked Cain. And then I need to, when it's revealed that it's sinful, I need to get perspective. I need to see how ugly it is. I need to practice repentance. Oh, God, I need your help. This is, this is not good. What I'm feeling is not good. I'm sorry. Please help me. And then pursue patience by looking to the one who extended saving patience to you, the cost of the cross. I got to believe this message is landing on some hearts this morning. But Jesus died for our sin, including the sin of your anger. So why don't you bow your heads? Let's pray. The music team's going to come. Father, I ask that you would move, move in our hearts as you have been moving in our heart. And show us where we have been sinfully angry and not even caring about it. In fact, maybe even abusing grace. Well, I'm a Christian. No, you tell us the grace of God teaches us to turn us from all unrighteousness, ungodliness, Titus 2. I pray, I pray for that one, though, who, who you have dropped a pallet of bricks on their heart, that now, Lord, you would touch their heart in grace and love. Even that was grace and love, to show them where there is anger becoming a bigger issue. This is a stop sign for them before they go Cain, and the, and the anger in the head becomes some kind of rock in their hand. Lord, would you then remind them of your grace and your love, and would you give them the commitment to share that with somebody, to, to chart a new course? A habit of anger can be convicted of in a moment, but is a pattern that is broken over time. And so I pray they would walk through that. I pray for the person here who, is, who has unmitigated anger and doesn't give a rip about it, Lord. Bad stuff is, is, is the trajectory of that mentality. I pray that even as we sing, you would drop that a pile of bricks on their heart. And I pray for the person here who definitely, who doesn't really know you. Maybe they've prayed the prayer and all that, but in their heart, they've never seen their sin for what it is and run into the arms of the Savior. I pray that today would be their day of salvation. And then finally, Father, I pray that you, your spirit, <laughs> would do some overtime work in our hearts as we sing, Lord. That people wouldn't just check out Okay, time to go to the bathroom, time to look at my phone. But no, we're standing before the living God before whom one knee, every now, knee will bow and every time we'll confess. And I pray if people need prayer, they would go back to the prayer team near the AV booth right now. They, they, when we start singing, they would come. 
Enemy won't, won't, doesn't want them to get prayer, to confess and all that. I pray that they would make a beeline for you. Thank you that Jesus Christ is sufficient for all of our sins, even our sins of anger in all six wavelengths and more. So change us that we might image you even in those tough spots, that you get the glory and the good of your name is spread. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.